0: Well, thank you again for being with us this Lord's Day. Uh, If you're normally here at Bloomfield with us, you know that we have been walking through the book of Acts together. Uh, But today I thought it'd be fitting for us to take just a break this Lord's Day from our study of Acts uh, to look to a couple of passages uh, that specifically talk to this issue of family. Uh, With this being Mother's Day, it's a a fitting day to look and see what does the Scripture have to say to us about the family, about mothers, about Children and and really about us is a family of faith and how we're to live according to God's word. So, this is not just a sermon for mothers, uh, it is certainly directed towards that, towards children, which we're all someone's child. But more so, it's for the family, uh, the family of God. And so, if you are here today and you don't understand fully what that means, what's it mean to be a part of this family? What's it mean to respond to the gospel, to repent, to have faith in Christ? I would invite you to stay after the service today. I would love to spend time talking with you. Pastor Nick, Pastor Matthew would be glad as well uh, to talk to you more about what it means to be a part of this family. Because that's certainly the context we'll be looking at today uh, as we look to this text. And so we're going to look at two texts primarily today. Uh, Proverbs 1, the first proverb there, uh, verses 7 through 10. And then we're also going to look at Second Timothy chapter 1. So I'll, I'll be going back and forth between these two if you want to kind of mark both of them in your Bible. If you know much about Proverbs, you know that it is a book of wisdom given to the, us by the Lord uh, through a man named Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. He was given an opportunity uh, to be blessed in whichever way he desired from the Lord, and he chose wisdom. And we have benefited from that wisdom as it's been recorded in the book of Proverbs. And then 2 Timothy 1 is Paul's second letter to Timothy. And in that letter, uh, Paul helps us to see practically what the instruction we're given in Proverbs 1 actually looks like when applied to someone's life. You know, sometimes when we look at the Bible, we, we, we recognize instruction, we recognize wisdom, but sometimes we don't take time to think, what does this practically look like? How, how do I apply this? Well, hopefully you'll see that as we walk through these two passages together. And so uh, we do believe here at Bloomfield Baptist Church that this is the authoritative word of God handed down to us. And as such, we revere it. And so if you're able to, I would invite you to stand as I read from it this morning, these two passages, Proverbs 1 verses 7 through 10 and 2 Timothy 1 verses 3 through 7. Beginning there in Proverbs 1, this is what God's word tells us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son if sinners, entice you. Do not consent. And then in Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. Paul writes, I I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you would pray with me, church. Father, we pray that we might experience that power today of Your Spirit. I pray, God, that You would help us to rightly discern truth from error. Light from darkness, sin, and the wickedness that so easily entices and entangles us from the truth and the call of your word. Lord, draw us to faith and repentance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Perhaps some of you are like me. I I like to know the history of things. I'm usually not content just knowing what something is. I want to know how it got to be what it is. So as a child, I would take the alarm clock and I would take it apart. Sometimes, mom and dad tell you I'd get it back together. Sometimes i got a new alarm clock for Christmas. But I've always been interested in knowing why things are the way they are, including things like Mother's Day. How did we end up with this celebration that our moms certainly deserve, but how did it originate? And what I found in my study is that historically... It's hard to find a time when there wasn't some type of recognition of mothers. In ancient Greece, there was a celebration honoring mothers that occurred every spring. Then in the Middle Ages, there was a custom called Mothering Sunday. And on Mothering Sunday, uh, all the children would come home. You see, during that time in the Middle Ages, it was common for kids to, to go off to the factory, to go off to an apprenticeship and be gone for long lengths of time. But on Mothering Sunday... Uh, Those children would come home and they would go to church with their moms and many times on the way home, they would buy little gifts for their mothers, little cakes. It was called going a-mothering. I I was driving past the dollar store last night and I'm pretty sure I saw some kids and their fathers going a-mothering, you know, looking for those last-minute little gifts. I didn't go to the dollar store, sweetie, I promise. Then in 1872, to bring it into more modern times... Uh, Julia Ward Howe, author of The Battle Hymn of the Republic, suggested the idea of a Mother's Day in the United States. And then a few decades later, uh, this idea started to come to fruition. Uh, There was a young lady named Anna Jarvis. And Anna had a deep burden for us to have this holiday to recognize moms. In fact, Anna's mom had passed away and, and Anna loved her mom. Anna remembered when she was 12 years old being in her mother's Sunday school class when her mom taught a lesson about mothers in the Bible, and after praying for that class and praying over that lesson, she would later recount, she remembered her mom actually praying, Lord, I pray there will be a day when we recognize the special calling, the special place you have for moms in the life of your church. Well, Anna took that up as a task and as a charge, and on May 12, 1907, to honor her mother who had passed, She simply wore a white carnation to church that day, and she bought white carnations for others to wear in church. Well, that caught on and began to spread, and she started a campaign. And then, just a few years later, 1914, Mother's Day became recognized as an official holiday. But here's where things twist a bit. As it took off as a holiday, it did what most holidays do in our nation. It became very commercialized. And so less than a decade after Anna celebrated this holiday becoming a national holiday, she actually began to protest against it. Because she said, wait, wait, this has become way too commercial. This isn't what I intended to happen. In fact, she would go on to file a lawsuit in 1923 against the U.S. government for honoring Mother's Day. She would actually go on to get arrested for protesting Mother's Day. She would spend her entire inheritance fighting against the holiday that she fought so hard to get recognized. This is what she said shortly before her death. This is not what I intended. I wanted it to be a day of sentiment, not profit. A printed card means nothing except that you are too lazy to write the woman who has done more for you than anyone in the world. Makes you feel good when you're buying that Mother's Day card. And candy? You take a box to Mother and then you eat it yourself. In our defense, moms like to share. But Anna was not happy in the 1920s with the commercialization of Mother's Day. I can only imagine what she would say today. There are, of course, a number of folks who put together greeting cards. It's estimated that there were going to be about 120 million cards exchanged today for Mother's Day. Uh, Hallmark, in fact, this year offered 900 different Mother's Day card options. Some of you saw people at Walmart going through all 900 of those. Now, I don't know if anyone here works for Hallmark, but I want to give you a suggestion about your target audience. Men and children are terrible when given more than two choices. If you have been through a drive-thru with a child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so if you brought those down a little bit. We like 900 choices when it's ammo and fishing lures. But outside of that, it gets very difficult for us. But I did look through some of those 900, and I did come up with a few, and I don't want to spoil anything for my mom, but I do have a couple of my favorites. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love how we don't even need to say out loud that I'm your favorite child. That's true. Another one of my favorites in particular for us. uh, Happy Mother's Day. I hope your Mother's Day is more pleasant than your labor was. Now, my wife lovingly reminded me after I made fun of a child being large in the family dedication that I was a large child. I know that surprises you to look at me now. I was about 10 pounds, and my mom didn't have any more kids after me. She was done. Well, all jokes aside, we are very thankful for our mothers today, and we celebrate Mother's Day. You know, when you think about your mom, and just think about moms in general, we tend to think about not only all the responsibility that moms have, but all that moms need to know. I'm probably not alone in having said probably four dozen times a day, I'm not sure, ask your mother. Well, your mom knows about that. Well, I'm not sure about that. You need to ask her. Moms seem to be the vault of information about all things, about all things. The question is, where do moms go when they have questions? (laughs) Well, some of them talk to their mother. Uh, But there has to be a place where moms and fathers and all of us today can ultimately go to when we need wisdom, when we need instruction when we need to be taught and at times corrected. And God, in His grace and mercy towards us, has given us that instruction in His Word. And so today, I want to take a few moments just to walk through God's Word together and, and to consider what it is God has called our family to look like, moms particular, what's your role to be. We're going to actually look at this same passage and look at fathers on Father's Day. They, they have a great responsibility too. But for today, what, what's that role that God's called the mom to? And then children, uh, what is our response to be? Everybody here is not a mom, but we're all a child of someone. no I matter mean, how old we are. So, so how are we to respond to what God's called moms to do and to be? And then ultimately, what does this look like for the life of the church? And so that's what we're going to discuss today as we walk through Proverbs 1 and 2 Timothy 1, beginning with point one in your notes there, a reminder to us, of the fundamental responsibility moms have. Mothers, that responsibility is to teach your children about the Lord. That there's no end to the list we can make today of all the responsibilities moms have. In fact, I looked over one article this week where someone actually tried to write out, here's all the job descriptions you could say the mom has. And if I were to read that list right now, it would take the majority of this sermon. I mean, it was job after job after job. But the question is, what is the foundational job that God has given to moms and to dads? And I believe from God's Word that job is to teach our children about the Lord. Solomon reminds us of that here in Proverbs 1, verse 7, where he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You may hear that and say, well, that that sounds kind of different. How, How is... Fear, the beginning of knowing something, we think of fear as something we want to run from. But the context here in Proverbs is that this fear is a reverence. See, it's an understanding that that this is not just a book. This is the holy word of God. And we're to revere God in His word and to live under the authority of it. And from that then, Solomon reminds us, we receive great wisdom. And that's why this is to be our foundation. And there's a warning here for those who don't view it as the foundation. Some of you may recall in the Gospels there, particularly in Matthew, we see the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is Jesus giving a a variety of teachings. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the more quoted passages in the Gospels. In fact, it's one where people who don't even really know a lot about the Bible or maybe don't go to church, they, they usually know something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to how Jesus ended that sermon. He said that there's a house built on a rock and there's a house built on a sand. Do you remember that illustration He gave? He said the house built on the rock was the one that, that symbolized the person who heard His words and did what He said. And then when the storms came, that house stood firm. He said the house built on the sand, whose foundation was sand, that was to symbolize the one who heard his words but did not do what he said. And as a result, when the winds came, when the rains came, says the house fell. So what does that tell us about this text we're looking at here in Proverbs 1? What tells us something that your mom's probably told you before. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Maybe you've heard your mom say, Well, I know you heard me. But are you listening to me? You know, hearing something is, I was physically present when the other person was speaking. But listening? Well, listening is, I actually know what they said. And Jesus here says, listening actually goes a step beyond knowing what they said. It goes beyond it to actually doing what it said. And the biblical instruction for us is to do what the Bible says. And so, moms, one of the greatest things you can teach your kids is to live under the authority of God's Word. And when the world, when their own desires say, I, I want to do this, and God's Word says, no, you need to move away from that, you need to come over here to say to them, listen, this is where you need to be. Not because I said so, not because someone else said so, but because the Lord's Word says so. Solomon tells his son, forsake not your mother's teaching. What, what, what teaching do you think Solomon is referring to here? I mean, I'm sure Solomon's son was taught many things by his mother, just as you were taught many things by your mother. Solomon's son was probably taught how to, how to put his sandals on his feet by his mom. <laughs> he was probably taught how to perhaps uh, ride a horse by his mom. He was probably taught all kinds of manners and things by his mom. Is that what Solomon's referring to here? Well, I think those are good things to remember. But I think specifically what he's speaking of here goes back to verse 7. The wisdom and instruction that is from the Lord. That is what it is that Solomon is telling his son, listen, don't forsake this. Don't forget this. And that's something that Solomon says other times. If you're familiar with the Proverbs, you know that Proverbs 6 and 7 deal with the issue of adultery and immorality in that Solomon says to his son this same statement. Son, don't forget. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. He's saying there, listen, don't don't turn from the truth of Scripture and what your mother's taught you just because you're drawn towards this sin because this sin ultimately will destroy you. It reminds us of what we see at other places in the Scripture. That sin may seem pleasurable for a season. In fact, there's a, a great illustration given at the end of Proverbs 7 after this young man has entered into something that he desperately wants and desires but something that is wrong and is unbiblical. In the end it says this, little does he know as a bird hastens for a snare, as an ox is led into the slaughter, little does he know this will cost him his life. And Solomon as one who has sinned and made bad decisions, is able to look to his son and say, stay away from those things. Remember what your mother taught you about the Lord. So practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, you can turn over to 2 Timothy 1. You can see a great example of it here, where Paul then writes to Timothy. We will learn more about Timothy and his family in our study of Acts when we get to Acts 16. But for now, it's important you to see here where Timothy's faith came from. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. So we're given this this picture here of what God intended the family to look like. He intended moms and dads to teach their kids about the Lord. So you may wonder, where's the mention of Timothy's dad then? We know from Acts chapter 16, Timothy's dad wasn't a believer. And so mom is filling that role as the the spiritual parent, both spiritual parents, and teaching Timothy about the Lord. And so what we see there, moms, dads, is that is the fundamental job that you have. Our fundamental responsibility as parents is to teach our kids about the Lord. To teach our parents, hopefully, those things our parents taught us about the Lord. So what happens when your parents didn't teach you about the Lord? Well, friends, that's where we have this great family of Christ. (laughs) Jesus, you may remember, was in a situation where people came to him and said, listen, uh, your mother and your brothers are here. And they're saying that in the context of Jesus. They think you're a little crazy, (laughs) and they've come to take you away. Do you remember what Jesus says to them? The Scripture says he looks to his disciples and he says, you are my mother and my brother. Now that's critical, friends, because that's a reminder to us from the Scripture that while God has blessed us with a biological family, sometimes our biological family and our spiritual family are two different families. Sometimes those who have the greatest influence on us spiritually, they're not our biological family. They're not our mom or dad. That, that person in the church who took time to pull us aside, who taught us in that Sunday school class, who instructed us in the Lord, And so, friends, that's where this is instruction to all of us in the church today. You may be here and you're not a mom, but you have a spiritual responsibility to have spiritual kids, to teach what's been taught to you to others. None of us can stand before God one day and say, well, my mom didn't tell me. (laughs) Well, dad never told me that. God has given us His Word. And friends, He has given us His church. And in it, we can learn these things that He has called us to learn and this instruction. So we are to instruct our children this way, point two. Children then, you're to listen to your mother's teaching about the Lord. There is a very firm word here to all of us as children to listen, not just hear, but to listen to those things that we were taught Now, if I were to go around this room this morning and try to compile a list of everything your mother taught you, I imagine that would be quite a list. I read not long ago about one author who sought to do that, so he had readers send in, you know, what did your mother teach you? These are some of the things that perhaps uh, your mother taught you as well. One reader said, My mother taught me and my brother the value of a clean room When she said, listen, if you're going to kill each other, go outside. I just finished cleaning this room. Another said, my mother taught me logic and how to think logically when she would say things like this. If you fall out of that tree and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me later. Because I'd be dead, mom. Another said this, and I, I think most of us can finish this statement. See, my mother taught me a lot about consequences and to think through consequences when she would say, if you keep crying, I'll give you something to really (laughs) cry about. See, wise mothers abound. (laughs) We could go on and on and on through that list of things that we learn from our moms. But what we see here fundamental in the Proverbs is we need to listen to that instruction from God's Word that we've received from our moms. Solomon reminds us here, my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. Forsake not. That word in the Hebrew means we shouldn't take it and throw it away. That's literally a picture of that word. Forsaking would be to take something and scatter it, to throw it away, to get rid of it. Actually, you could translate this this way. Don't spit it out. I was yesterday at, at a Costco with Sandy and a couple of our kids. And if you've been to Costco or been to Sam's Club or a place like that with little kids, you you know the drill. The free sample. And you know the kids have like this free sample radar. And you know, you're on the other side of the store. Hey, Dad, there's a free sample. And it's all the way on the other side. So uh, Caroline and I, we're, we're, she's ducking already, uh, we were going through Costco and, and, and she would notice the free sample. Now, again, if you've been in this situation, you know, sometimes things look like you're going to like them, but then you try them and you realize you're not going to like them. So, for example, we were walking through the frozen section and they had what looked like a brownie and it was made of vegetables. There, there's something in the book of Revelation about that. That's like a sign. You don't want to open that seal. You don't masquerade a brownie with vegetables. That's another sermon. But anyways, so, so we're walking through another aisle. And, and I've already told her, well, it's not a brownie. It's vegetables. Well, want, no, it's made of carrot. You're not going to like that. And, uh, so we go to this other aisle. Well, there's something, too, that looks chocolate. So she's like, I like chocolate. I want this thing. Well, I know it, it's a chocolate truffle. I know it's dark. It's going to be real rich. She's not going to really like it. She wants it. I know she's not going to like it. She wants it. No, she's What's the easiest thing to do? Mother's not around. Hey, just here you go. That is my best reenactment of what took place. She forsook it. (laughs) It got scattered. She spit it out. So what does that have to do with this text? Well, Solomon here says, friends, we better be careful. That when we receive instruction from God, and when it gets to that point when it's a little bit bitter to us, when we don't particularly like what it says, when what we want is completely contrary to what God's Word says, at that moment, the temptation of our heart is to say, spit it out. Don't listen to it. Do what makes you feel good. God's Word says, children, do not do that. And mom's the most loving thing you can do for your kids And those moments when you see them moving away from the Lord and towards sin is in a loving, gracious, and firm way to say, this will not go well for you. That this may very well even cost you your life. That's what God's Word tells us. And so how, how do we keep from that? How, how do we encourage our kids in their faith? How do we grow them in their faith? Is there something beyond telling them what not to do? <laughs> well, yeah. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Again, a very practical application here in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. Paul here writing to Timothy says to him, for, for this reason, okay, the reason is you've received this faith, you've been taught this word, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Have you ever sat around a fire and noticed what happened when you just push all the wood together? It burns bright, doesn't it? And then what happens when you start to pull the wood apart and scatter it? It kind of burns out. And so what do you do if you want to have a good fire? You stack that wood in such a way that it's going to burn strong and bright. And when you do that, it can rain on it and that fire keeps burning. But if you don't attend that fire, and the coal is kind of spread out, and the rain comes, well, then it just puts it out. Paul here is saying to Timothy, Timothy, stack those sticks. Fan that flame. How do we do that? Well, believers, we do that by surrounding ourselves with God's Word, and God's people, and God's church. Because we desperately need people who will encourage us to walk in faith with Christ. Because left to ourselves, we were much like those coals and sticks left to themselves over to the side. They burn out and they don't last. Paul tells Timothy, fan the flame. And that is what we're called to do as well. Children, listen to the instruction of your mothers who taught you about the Lord. Point three. What is the result of all this? Obedience produces joy and peace. That, that word obey, you don't normally hear in a very positive way anymore. In fact, oftentimes when we hear the word obey, we suddenly think about how we can disobey. <laughs> and so, moms, you, you've had this experience with your kids. You, you tell them, okay, I, I want you to do this thing, and I don't want you to do this thing. And then you walk away, and what is the thing that they're just naturally drawn to do? The things you told them not to do. And so then we try to play this reverse psychology, you know. Okay, I'm going to leave right now, but I don't want you to clean your room. I would love for you to fight with your brother and sister. Please don't wash the car. You know, I think they figured that out, but you know. Well, we still try to somehow twist it. Why? Because so often the very instruction we give them is the very thing they rebel against. Well, there's a reason for that. And it's in you too, <laughs> It's because of the fall. It's because of sin. It goes all the way back to the garden where God says to Adam and Eve, okay, here's everything for you. You can eat of all this, but here is one tree. Do not eat of this tree, lest you die. I mean, there's nothing cryptic about that. God's really clear. Eat this, live. Eat this, die. Got that, Adam? Got that, eat, live, eat, die, eat, live, eat, die, eat, live, eat, okay. And then what happens? I wonder what will happen if I eat of that tree, (laughs) you know? And I think about that in our context of our kids and of us even as kids, you know, mom, dad says, don't do this, don't do this, don't. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this," and they're sitting there thinking, but I wonder what will happen if I do it, you know? Well, what happened in the garden had devastating consequences. They rebelled against the Holy God. And so since then, obey seems to be a bad word to us, doesn't it? And something within us says, I'm not going to obey. Why? Because we don't want authority in our lives. You turn on the evening news, you turn on the newspaper, and you can pretty much boil everything going on in the world down to this issue. People do not want to live under the authority of another. And they will strike against it. We see it everywhere. And friends, if you're honest, you see it in the mirror. But there is a better way. Obedience is possible when we repent and turn from sin and trust in Christ. Because Jesus says when we become Christians, He he puts a new heart within us. And now this heart has the ability to do what the old dead heart could not do. It can obey. The other could not. And then in that obedience, Solomon reminds us of what happens from it. Chapter 1 verse 9. He says, listen, you, 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 you obey, you do what the Word says, you listen to your mother's teaching about the Lord, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now I realize, I'm looking around, I think anybody has garland on their head today. <laughs> a few pendants around necks. So that's kind of lost on us a little bit. But what Solomon's basically saying here is this. If you listen to the instruction that your mother gave you about the Lord... That, that distinguishes you and that brings honor. And so this weekend you've already probably seen a, a lot of distinguishing pictures, haven't you? It's, it's a graduation weekend. And so if you're on Facebook, Twitter, at, at a family event, you've seen all these pictures. And what are these pictures of? The, the, these graduates have the caps and the gowns on. Now, that's not what we wear normally. If you go into Bartsmart after church and everybody's wearing a cap and gown... That's odd. If that's all we wore, that doesn't seem normal. Why? Because we wear those to do what? To, to honor and to distinguish. And so, in all those pictures I saw, everybody's smiling. They're all pointing to them. They're saying, let's celebrate. With, this is great. Isn't this wonderful? Why? Because there's honor. There's distinction. They've accomplished something. Solomon says there is something different that you put on. He's saying this garland, this, this, this pendant around your neck, that's symbolic of what? When you obey God's Word, it gives you something that the world can never give. So don't spit it out. Don't run away from it. Realize it's the only way that you will truly receive the peace and the joy that the Lord gives. Application, Second Timothy 1 again. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. He mentions in verse 4 both his tears and his joy. And to the world, that doesn't make sense. You're crying. You must not be happy, and yet you're talking about joy, being filled with joy, and yet you're crying. Well, this doesn't make sense to the world. Why? Because the world says if you're joyous, that means you're happy because something's making you feel good. And that's so often what sin does for us. And so how does this reconcile? Well, very simply, friends, in the Christian life, there is a greater joy than the fleeting pleasures of sin. And the Christian life is not one where God has promised us that we will never suffer or we will never cry and that we'll always have this very shallow happiness. But the Christian life is one in which Christ says to us, you will suffer with me and one day no more and you will receive a joy for eternity, and a peace in Christ that the world cannot give. And that's what obedience yields for us. Another fruit of it, verse 7, God gave us then a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That, that, that's one of the benefits of obedience. Then God is, is able to remove this fearful, anxious heart we have and give us a heart of love and peace and self-control. When I think of moms, so often I think of anxiety. <laughs> but because our moms spend a fair amount of their life worrying about us. Fearful for us. And God says to you, moms, you don't, you don't have to be scared. You can trust the Lord. And one of the greatest lessons you can teach your kids about trusting the Lord is to trust the Lord with your kids. And I say this as a parent of four kids who gets super freaked out if I don't know where they are every second of the day. (laughs) And I so want to put them in this glass bubble. you know. Side note, there's some obnoxious song on the radio about a guy going to ask for his girlfriend's hand in marriage and the guy says no. You've heard that song. When I hear that song, I just want to beat up every potential boyfriend of my daughter's ever. I want to protect them. I just want to put walls around them and say, world, stay away. Wickedness, stay away. Boys, stay away. Parker, girls, stay away. I'm not worried about him for some reason, but... But I think about that and I say, what does that say about me? It says that maybe I'm, I'm not trusting the Lord with my kids as much as I say I'm trusting the Lord with my kids. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you struggle this morning because your kids aren't little kids anymore. They're, they've grown and you, you taught them. You, you tried to. You taught them God's Word and they're not here and they're not in any church this morning. Or maybe they just come for this day, but not regularly. And you're feeling like, what, what did I do wrong? What, what do I need to do different? You just need to trust the Lord with your kids. There's no formula in the Scripture that says, if you do this, if you do this, your kids will turn out this way. <laughs> You can raise two, three, four kids in the same home teaching them the same things. This one can walk with the Lord. This one can rebel against the Lord. There's no formula. But the call is the same for all of us. We need to trust the Lord with our kids. Kids, young and old, there is wisdom here. And it will keep you not only... Alive at times in this world, it will give you eternal life in the world to come. Be careful before you spit that out. Be careful. Be warned. And and know that no one has gone so far that the Lord's hand cannot reach. (laughs) And, And there's nothing that I or any of you have done that is such a great atrocity against the Lord that He says His grace is not sufficient. And so this Mother's Day, moms, dads, parents, consider trust the Lord with your kids. (laughs) Kids, consider what does it look like to just trust the Lord in your life. Church, consider what does it look like for us to be a people who hold one another accountable to the Word and live in obedience to it. As you consider those things, if you would pray with me. Father God, we thank You for Your Word and for the wisdom it offers. And Lord, I am so thankful this Mother's Day for my mom, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for so many moms here who have taught their children well according to Your Word. And Lord, I know probably some of those moms struggle because some of their kids haven't responded well to Your Word. Some of them have rebelled against it. Lord, I pray in Your sovereign goodness and grace that, that Your hand would grab those kids today and draw them to repentance and faith. That they, would, that they wouldn't run away from the teaching their mother gave them about the Lord. I pray for those of us, mothers and fathers, who we we wrestle, we wrestle, Lord, with fear and anxiety and worry when it comes to our kids. Lord, would you help us just to to trust you this morning with them? Lord, in that trust, it doesn't mean that that's pixie dust, that that nothing bad will happen to them. But, Lord, there's a peace that comes from that. And, And there's something, too, realizing that you love our kids infinitely more than we can ever imagine and lord you love our kids and you love us to the extent that you put your son on the cross to die for our sin while we were still yet sinners we weren't asking for that Lord. that that's that's what you've shown us when it comes to love would you would you help us to remember that this lord's day to show that love to others, to live in response to the gospel. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who's yet to repent and come to faith in Christ, Lord, that they would. If they're not sure what that entails, that they'd hang around and talk to me or one of our other pastors. Lord, I pray for whatever it is you put on our heart as an application of this message, that we would consider those things now during this time of invitation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.